two questions emerge. Do supernatural entities need a portal or gateway to enter our world? And do we humans have the ability to open or close such a portal? Welcome to another episode of God and the Paranormal, a podcast exploring high strangeness from a biblical worldview. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Suzanne. And I'm John. Hey, John. You know, several years ago, I got to explore one of the long barrow tunnels near Salisbury, England. Those are man-made kind of ramps that go down into a cave. Anyway, I was with a group of people and we were looking at various sites. But I got separated from my group, so I, I went to the mouth of this long barrow, and I could hear some kind of chanting inside or singing or something. Oh. So I thought, oh, my group's already in there, and they're nothing <laughs> crazier. So I went in, and it was totally dark. I had one little light with me that I was trying to shine around to see who was in there, and I could hear them singing this really weird stuff. So I went in and started going, ba 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 around along with them, and they didn't wow. seem to join in or anything, and so... <laughs> After a while, I shined my light on one of them, and they were in the full regalia and wow. stuff from, yeah, they were druids. Oh. So apparently, they were doing some kind of ceremony there, and Yikes. my group hadn't even gone inside yet. So later, they came in and excused oh. my stupidity. But yeah, anyway, it was, a, Did you get it any was awkward. Mean... Yeah, wow. Did anyone say anything to you? Did they ignore you? Did They, they just... kind of ignored me at first. When I shined the light in one of their faces, they looked kind of <laughs> angry. So I decided to leave. And later, a lady in my group encouraged me by saying, you know, you desecrated one of their holiest little rites there. So they'll oh, probably wow. have to come and desecrate you later sometimes. Mm. <laughs> anyway, I made it through it. I was thinking, though, this place wasn't holy to me. And so surely they wouldn't hold me responsible for messing up one of their rights or whatever. So I thought I should be able to at least present my case to the Druid court before <laughs> they executed me. But that brings up a good point, I think. What exactly makes a place holy or sacred? Yeah. Was it just in the Druid's heads or was there some kind of mystical energy floating around the long barrow there? Yeah, that is interesting. What does differentiate a holy location? We usually don't see a spiritual glow or hear harp music. No. I think part of the confusion is in our use of the word holy. Mm. Many have the idea that holy equates with mystical, enchanted, or energized, paranormal, something like that. Yeah, but the biblical term, though, it just means set apart, doesn't it? Yeah, literally. It just means set apart for a particular purpose. I have a lab beaker on my desk that I use as a drinking glass. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, in my mind, I've set that beaker apart from all the others strictly for the purpose of my drinking water. So I don't want it used for anything else like growing algae or holding poisonous chemicals, anything like that. <laughs> so basically, I've declared it holy for my specific purpose. We could also use the verb sanctify, I think. I yes. sanctified the beaker for my purposes. So when we refer to a particular place as holy or sacred in a biblical sense, it simply means designated for a particular purpose. Yeah, Not should. that the location has been endowed with any magical or paranormal status, right? Right. But I think there's a fine line in that terminology. Exodus 3.5, and this is God speaking, 
do not come near, take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he's talking mm-hmm. to Moses here. So God designated the location as holy at that particular time to confirm to Moses the seriousness of approaching an altogether holy creator God. And that's different from the location actually taking on a mystical paranormal status in some way. Yeah. And that also applied to the Holy of Holies in the Jewish temple. And the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. Locations God himself declared holy as a meeting place for humans. Mm. That's a good way to put it. The location was holy by association with God and his purpose. Any spiritual or supernatural status was derived from God and not necessarily the location. Yeah, but it seems to me that paranormal believers and some others do use this term differently. Mm -hmm. Their idea is that like a holy place has some intrinsic mysticism or some sort that emanates from it. I think most other cultures and religions think of holiness in that sense. Yeah, not as set apart for a purpose, but kind of possessing some paranormal or supernatural essence Mm -hmm. in some way. And a crucial difference, whatever they perceive, it's not necessarily a personality. It involves more of a mysterious energy or a force, possibly that's apart from the entity. Okay, then. Biblically speaking, a particular place can be set apart as holy by association with God. Can a place be made unholy by association with evil supernatural entities? I think that's a good discussion point. If we don't believe the impersonal paranormal energy idea, then we must be thinking a demon or an evil spirit is associated with an area. And obviously demons have no authority over believers. They can't force our acceptance just because they want to claim a place. Yeah. So the question is, can a location be unholy or cursed or haunted by the presence of evil entities? And if holy means set apart, unholy doesn't seem like the correct term. Maybe it should be called holy for an evil purpose or designated by a demon for an evil purpose. Right. But actually, the discussions today by the paranormal believers, and and let's just call them paranorms from now on. (laughs) That's too long. And with that name, I just mean it includes paranormal believers, researchers, psychics, and people like that. Anyway, paranorms and some believers claim that there are what they call territorial spirits Mm. that occupy, or I guess we could say they rule over particular locations. So a place might be considered unholy because a certain demon or demons claimed it as their territory. Is that like the princes we discussed in Daniel 10? The righteous angel fought against the evil prince of Persia and the prince of Greece? Well, we know that at least those countries at Daniel's time had fallen sons of God or watchers who apparently were ruling over those areas in some way. Those who teach territorial spirits usually take it much further to include smaller geographic regions. Maybe even a specific building or rooms have residing territorial spirits in them. And there's no specific mention of this in scripture, right? The closest thing, I guess, would be when the demons asked Jesus to send them into the swine and not out of this region was the quote. It kind of sounds like they had permanent Mm. residence in that particular area. The controversy comes when those who believe in assigned territorial spirits also believe that we should confront them with regard to that region. For example, if I stay in a hotel room, I should attempt to identify any spirits who might live there and maybe try to cast them out. I've heard of that strategic level spiritual warfare. 
you need to figure out which evil spirits are in charge of an area, then specifically bind them in mm-hmm. order to free a particular location from oppression or deception. And this is one of those areas I don't think believers should break fellowship over. Okay. It's important, but it's not an essential doctrine. But that idea really isn't in scripture either, is it? I don't think so. And by important, I mean this. There are two issues here. Are there residing territorial spirits? And do we have the authority or even the need to try to exercise them in some way? Hmm. Now, Jesus and the apostles did have the authority to confront demons and command them to leave. But I just don't see that in scripture as really a model for us today. In fact, even Michael the archangel says in Jude 1, 9, when disputing with Satan, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. Right. Nowhere in scripture are we instructed to take offensive stances against demonic spirits, except perhaps to ask God to bind or cast them out. And I know that goes against a lot of beliefs in some evangelical circles today. I'm not trying to be divisive. I just rather err on the side of scripture, I think. Do you think it's harmful or detrimental in any way to speak to Satan or command him to be bound? Well, at least it's unproductive, I think. And there may be cases in which someone presumes to bind or cast out a territorial demon. Then God in his grace just steps in and does the actual work for them. And depending on a fallacious method of spiritual warfare could actually hinder the effective biblical model for dealing with evil entities. Yeah. Satan is the father of lies. We've talked about that. Demons work through lies and deception. We defeat Satan and his followers with truth. When Jesus confronted Satan in the wilderness, he didn't try to bind him or cast him out. He just quoted scriptural truth. And that takes a lot more work than just speaking to demon or commanding it to be bound. Using the truth as a weapon implies that you've studied the truth and have it hidden in your heart. And you have a relationship with the truth giver. Yeah, and that allows you to do what Ephesians 6 says, to put on the spiritual armor and stand and resist the devil, as we saw in James 4, 7. Hmm. And of course, we pray for God's help. Jesus told his disciples there were actually some evil spirits that could only be cast out by prayer and fasting. There also seems to be the idea, and I've heard this from secular researchers, paranorms, and even some Christians, the idea that there are words or phrases or incantations that can disarm evil spirits. I'm guessing those are just kind of like wishful thinking. Yeah, good fairy tales anyway. Hmm. When I was a kid, there was a bully that taunted me every day at school and on the bus going home, and I just dreaded seeing him every day. I was obsessed with finding ways to avoid him. And then one day I was with my dad at the hardware store and this guy was there and he was coming down the aisle at us. And, you know, I didn't even flinch because my dad was standing right beside me. There was no way this bully was going to touch me. And I just smiled or really (laughs) smirked at him as he walked by. Now, the next day on the bus, the harassment continued. My dad wasn't there. And if I'd said to this guy, you know, my dad can whip you. Well, (laughs) what good would that do? In fact, there was nothing I could have said in my own power that would scare him. Well, pop culture ignores the fact that spiritual warfare, like everything else in the believer's life, is based, like you said, on a relationship. I have God's spirit with me constantly, but demons aren't going to listen to anything I could say through my puny power. They pay attention when I acknowledge who is with me and the truth he's spoken. And when I call on God for help, spirits, they really don't have any hope. I think demons have a good laugh when a non-believer paranorms start chanting something in Latin or even reciting the Lord's Prayer. Mm -hmm. 
real spiritual power is in truth, in the presence of the truth giver, and in the word of God, not magic spells. So before we leave territorial spirits, what about places that seem to be haunted? We concluded in an earlier episode that haunting spirits are actually demons and not the souls of departed humans. Isn't this anecdotal evidence that spirits do tend to hang around particular locations? Well, ghost hunters would certainly hold that view, wouldn't they? (laughs) But I think this could have alternative explanations. What if demons simply realize the best way to produce the most deception? You mean if a haunted house scenario gets results, why change the strategies? Yeah. These aren't human souls who hang out where they died. They're demons. I tend to think that demons can and will do whatever it takes to deceive us. So they don't play by any rules except whatever limitation God places on them. If they want to stay in a location, they will. If they want to leave it, they will. Anything that seems to be a residing spirit that are trapped in a place is probably just part of the deception. And from scripture, it would seem more likely that a fallen spirit would haunt a person rather than a location. I think so. And that's their job description, isn't it? They don't care about places. They want to deceive people. Mm. Demons are most effective when there's a willing person giving them an invitation to come on down. Maybe buildings seem haunted because there's a steady stream of ghost hunters and paranorms (laughs) constantly begging them to show themselves. Could be. So a particular location could host supernatural intrusions by evil entities. Is it possible that some places do have unknown energies, not from an entity, just a force of some kind we don't know? Something truly paranormal, then. On my same British trek as the Druid encounter, I also had the opportunity to visit Stonehenge. Oh, one of the alleged most paranormal places on Earth. Uh Uh-huh. And that's what I've heard anyway. It was definitely verging on paranormal when I was there. This was an after-hours, up-close tour with a small group. One of the men there with us took out some metal dowsing rods, and he started waving them all over the site. Like uh, water-witching dowsing rods? Yeah, you hold them out, and when they cross, it's supposed to indicate either water or buried treasure or dead bodies. Anyway, something like that. And he said he was using them to find what are called ley lines. Okay, I've heard of those, ley lines, L-E-Y, ley lines. Some kind of mystical force fields or something, right? Yeah, paranorms claim that there are unusual lines of some type of energy that connect special places on Earth. For those of you watching on YouTube, I've put up a picture of some of these. So if you're on audio right now, these lines appear to be connecting and converging on places like Stonehenge, the Great Pyramids, Machu Picchu, and Sedona, Arizona, to name a few. allegedly mystical paranormal places. And it's really interesting. And these aren't known forces like electromagnetic, nuclear, gravity, nothing like that. Okay, so then that makes them paranormal if they do indeed exist. Yeah, and conveniently, usually only psychics and dowsers can detect them. Oh, I think it's also interesting that ceremonial sites are positioned in lines or other geometric shapes on the Earth's surface. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, They call it geodesy, and it it really is hard to explain. A lot of ancient holy places and often other markers that are miles apart from each other are lined up in ways that don't really seem accidental. For example, Stonehenge, Avebury, and Glastonbury, those are three kind of what are considered mystical places in England. They make a perfect right triangle when you view it from way up high somewhere. Wow. 
And you find that a lot, like on every continent with medicine wheels, mm -hmm. temples, burial mounds. How did the early builders have the perspective or technology to line things up that are so far apart? It is a mystery. It's been suggested that they had extraterrestrial help in some way. That's one of the far out kind of fringy explanations for it. Oh, I've also heard that these sites were made by extraterrestrials. Yeah, even stranger. Oh, and what about the Nazca lines? Huge images of people and animals scratched into the ground, and you can only see it clearly from high altitudes. How would you explain that? Um, very awkwardly. <laughs> <laughs> we might be able to do all of this today with the help of a GPS or something, which I assume the ancients didn't have those. <laughs> Maybe they were just a lot more educated than we give them credit. You know, we've talked about the fact that Genesis 4 hints that Adam and Eve's grandchildren were already pretty advanced in technology. Okay. And not to be taken as inspired, but First Enoch, which we talked about last episode, and other Mesopotamian writings tell that it was the watchers who gave early humans crash courses in advanced technology. Edging toward the fringy, maybe, but still not inconsistent with Scripture. And it is a common thread in early Mesopotamian literature, hmm. some attempt to tie it in with the ancient alien ideas we discussed the last time. Okay, but back to this question again. Are there special locations on Earth that express not necessarily supernatural spirits, but strange, undiscovered energies that make them mystical, enchanted, or paranormal? That is a very popular subject among paranorms today in a lot of podcasts. The idea that certain locations not only have mysterious origins, but they also possess some kind of mysterious energy or a force of some sort. And not normal physical energy, something unknown. Yeah, right? and well within the definition of paranormal then. And there are many different variations on this theme. Typically, these energy zones are claimed to be doorways or portals to another realm. That's a very familiar theme for fantasy tales and literature. Alice through the looking glass, Coraline's doorway to her other home. The wardrobe leading to Narnia. Yeah. And it's a useful literary device. A lot more interesting than Alice just jumping on a bus and heading to Wonderland. <laughs> um, I've heard some people call them vortexes, which is basically something swirling like a tornado or a whirlpool. It sort of sucks things into it and blows them out. Yeah, I guess falling into a swirling vortex is a little more dramatic than just stepping through a doorway or a looking glass. Have you ever experienced a paranormal vortex? Uh, not personally, but I think there could be one in, in the back of my sock drawer. <laughs> it, it sucks one sock from each pair into a different dimension, I think. Actually, some of the most famous vortexes are claimed to be in Sedona, Arizona. Do you have that excerpt handy? Oh, yeah, from Sedona.net. A vortex is believed to be a swirling center of energy that can produce a range of physical, emotional, and spiritual effects. Many people believe that the Sedona vortexes are particularly powerful and can enhance meditation, self-discovery, and spiritual growth. And what does a vortex feel like? You may feel a range of sensations from a slight tingling on exposed skin to a vibration emanating from the ground when you encounter a vortex. Most often, a vortex is felt by palpable sensation across the neck or shoulder blades. Maybe we should do a live podcast from Sedona. <laughs> Our budget's much too low for that. If I go to an alleged paranormal place, I go there for, for the free ones usually, like like the one in Oklahoma where the cars roll uphill. I went there oh. once, and my truck actually did seem to roll uphill, but I tend to think that was more of an optical illusion. 
There's also a claim vortex building in Gold City, Oregon. Uh, oh. Supposedly, it was an old gold assaying place, and and now people that go there have all kinds of mystical experience. And when they go in, like time shifting and uh, uh, their height changes, things like wow. that. I'd just be afraid I'd get lost. <laughs> There's a lot of folklore around portals and vortexes. And I know the actual word is vortices, but we'll just say vortexes. And actually, the Celts describe them as a thin place in a veil. Okay, so is that the veil between the world and the spirit realm? Yes, supposedly. And as the story goes, it gets thinner on Halloween, which allows spirits to pass back and forth easier. It seems in all of these, the implication is that there is another realm, and the portal is the connection to it. And there is some truth to that, you know. Scripture affirms at least one other realm or dimension, if you want to call it that. The unseen realm that we've talked about right. through a lot of our episodes certainly is another place, and there certainly is a barrier to us passing back and forth. Although there's biblical evidence that supernatural entities can pass back and forth to some extent. Yeah. And so, as we said earlier, it's not a question of whether other realms exist. It's their nature. And realistically, yeah. if God wanted to make multiple dimensions in other realms, he certainly could have made them. It's just that scripture mentions only the two. I can think of some possible references to portals in scripture, if these are truly portals, like Genesis twenty-eight twelve through 13, which says, And Jacob dreamed, and behold, there was a stairway set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. The angels of God were ascending and descending on it, and the Lord stood above it. So a stairway to heaven, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> there, there was definitely a bustle in Jacob's hedgerow. And, and by the way, this was a dream. So it looks like God was trying to get across to Jacob that the supernatural was real and his promises were true. So maybe the stairwell was just symbolic. It could be. Do angels even need a stairway, you think? It seems like when they appear on earth, they just appear. And all of a sudden. Yeah. And when Jesus appeared after his resurrection, he just appeared. When he ascended, you know, he just floated up into the clouds. So, yeah. But also in Acts 8, after speaking with the Ethiopian in the chariot, it sounds like Philip was kind of supernaturally transported away. It doesn't sound like either of them used doorways or portals, though. And maybe supernatural spirits don't need them either. The other possible portal that I was thinking about in Scripture may have been in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. Yeah, and that used to bother me as a child. How did those people think that they could build a tower up to heaven? Because obviously there were mountains around them that were higher than anything they could build. And so I think that obviously that wasn't what they were saying. No. When you get the context from other early writings, you see that it was common for groups to build towers as a presumed meeting place for them and their gods. Yes, ziggurats. Yeah, and we still find remnants of those today in the Middle East. Not necessarily very high, but usually flat on top and intended to kind of be a holy place for communing with whatever supernatural entities they could call in. And it seems like the people at Babel intended to create a special portal through which they could invite their gods. And God summarily stopped them, didn't he? Mm -hmm. uh, they would have succeeded in their rebellious effort to invite deities or demons, as the case may be. God actually predicted that nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. That does make the Babel account feel more sensible. Their intent was to stay in Babel as one united people group and elicit all the supernatural help they could from whatever deities they could contact. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the Bible supports at least one other dimension. What does science have to say about other dimensions? 
listening to the pop media, you would think that we know all about other dimensions, wouldn't you? The truth is there's no empirical evidence for any other dimension except ours. But I thought that physics had discovered other realms or something. There are some interpretations of physical phenomena that actually need other dimensions for the equations to work. Things like string theory and uh, quantum interpretations of some things. But right now, other dimensions are just variables on some physics lab blackboard. So you're saying that the dimensions exist because it satisfies their math equations. Yeah, it's just theoretical right now. So science fiction pretty much depends on other dimensions, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. It certainly helps the writers, doesn't it? (laughs) You can have a whole different Spider-Man storyline if you have several dimensions. My husband always thinks it's a cop out, you know, just out of dimensions. Yeah. And if it's somewhere over the rainbow, you don't have to explain how all the strangeness got there. Yeah, that's what makes the story easy. Or a galaxy far, far away. The idea helps the paranorms too, actually. Just put Ghost and Bigfoot and Dogman and Skinwalkers and all that other high strangeness in another realm somewhere out of sight, out of mind. And as we mentioned in a previous episode, that's common in paranormal reports. Sasquatch or whatever just vanishes into a portal. They can come and go as they please and carry their strangeness with them. (laughs) I've heard that apply to UFOs as well. Could they be extra dimensional rather than extraterrestrial? Yeah, Jacques Vallée and J. Allen Hynek themselves both postulated that decades ago. And instead of the ETH, the extraterrestrial hypothesis, they call it the EDH, the extra dimensional hypothesis. And that says that some UFOs do seem to just appear out of nowhere or vanish suddenly into nowhere. Real physical objects don't do that. So a portal to another dimension would, at least for them, explain a lot of unlikely physics that we see. And some suggest that UFOs are the portals. The ones that look like fuzzy glowing spheres or orbs are actually moving doorways. Yeah. But the portals create some problems in physics, don't they? Like what exactly is a portal and why is it happening here? Yeah. Hasn't science discovered real portals in space like wormholes and black holes? That's another thing science fiction has so indoctrinated us with that we kind of think it's real science. A wormhole It's what some theorists call a connection between two places in the universe. And it's kind of an alleged shortcut through all the folds of space-time, which we don't even know what they are anyway. But the Stargate series uses that. Uh, You step into the Stargate and you're suddenly in another distant galaxy somewhere. But but spoiler, wormholes are just variables in equations too. We've never empirically verified anything like that on a macro level. Even with entanglement theories, there's no real tangible data on it. But the idea of a wormhole to a distant part of a galaxy would solve a huge extraterrestrial problem. We're pretty sure you can't travel at or above the speed of light. And that means it would take hundreds of years at our fastest speeds just to get to the nearest star neighbors. So we or any other beings can't just take off and visit stars unless we live thousands of years. And yeah. What a boring trip. (laughs) Yeah. But a portal to another place. Yeah. Still a fairy tale, but it it does give a glimmer of hope to those who still dream of interstellar travel, doesn't it? Do you think the Bermuda Triangle is some kind of vortex or strange energy zone? You know, I've collected a lot of information on that when I was putting the book together, and it does seem to be an interesting place. Christopher Columbus made the first record of a UFO or some kind of glowing orb that fell into the water there in the Bermuda Triangle. Whoa. People who are fans of uh, Atlantis just got really excited. 
75 planes, hundreds of ships are lost there. So it's not just legend. There's actually some substance. But is that good evidence of something paranormal? Well, the whole Bermuda Triangle is like a half million square miles, and that's okay. huge. And it's a major shipping lane, lots okay. of traffic going through it. And the catch here is Lloyd's mm-hmm. of London did an actuarial study, and they didn't find any travel risk that was significantly different from any other shipping lanes. So then the Bermuda Triangle may not be a thing. A lot of engaging stories, but no, not statistically more dangerous than driving during rush hour, probably. Portals or some type of gateway to the unseen realm seem to be a big deal on paranormal media right now. Uh huh. The New Age occult and spiritualist crew are really excited about them. And I've noticed a lot of Christian podcasts are, are now discussing them. Yes, it seems the concern is that people may be accidentally or intentionally opening portals (laughs) and giving evil entities free access to this realm. Man, that sounds scary when you say it that way. Yeah, it it does. Do you think we should worry about this? Well, there's that idea again. Since I believe any evil entity would be a fallen spirit, as Scripture describes, then two questions emerge. Do supernatural entities need a portal or gateway to enter our world? And do we humans have the ability to open or close such a portal? And all kinds of things can allegedly open a portal. Occult incantations, human sacrifice, hallucinogenic drugs. And some people worry that CERN will open a gateway. Uh, You know, CERN has the Large Hadrian Collider, they call it in Switzerland. And this idea is the basis for actually the popular Netflix series, which I won't endorse by name right now. So a physical apparatus opening a spiritual gateway, is that even possible? Well, if they've done it, they haven't officially announced it yet. Mm. There are conspiracy theorists, though, who claim that CERN's primary objective is to actually try to open up some kind of physical doorway or a portal or something. I believe all this, though, depends on how physical we think the non-physical world is. When we discussed the delayed angelic response, you know, in Daniel 10, we saw how there's some degree of drama going on in the unseen realm that's sort of similar to our physical world. Sons of God and princes, they were engaged in a sort of real struggle. And do they use weapons? The cherub at Eden's gate had a flaming sword. So was that just symbolic or a real weapon that they used, Mm -hmm. a physical object? One popular Christian podcaster believes supernatural spirits, which would include angels and demons, he thinks, may actually use physical-ish type artifacts, like using vehicles to travel from one place to another. Hmm. Can't they just zap over to somewhere if they wish? Well, I hope to find that out someday. For now, I'm just guessing, but I tend to agree with you. I think biblical angels don't seem to really need vehicles in any way. Except Tess's Cadillac on Touched by an Angel. Well, yeah, that. (laughs) And I hope they have pickup trucks in heaven. I could really really use mine. (laughs) Anyway, the podcaster I mentioned thinks UFOs could actually be angelic craft of some sort, possibly Mm -hmm. used by angels and demons. And the question again, do spirits need vehicles? I suppose someone could make the point that Elijah didn't really need a flaming chariot to go up to heaven, but he got one anyway. Hmm. I think there might be an actual vortex somewhere in the future. 
Revelation 6.14 says the sky was rolled up like a scroll. That sounds oh. like some sort of portal opening, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But the vortex portal thing today, I think might just be good theatrics for demonic deceptions. Ultimately, the idea implies that there are some powers that are outside of God's omnipotence. And like the people at Babel, we can tap into these for our own purposes. And the same goes for any enchanted or haunted locations, I think. Whether there is some degree of truth about their existence, none of these are outside of God's purview. Believers don't have to worry with who or what is associated with a place, I don't think. Or who or what might enter this realm. God created all that is, including any veil that exists between the realms. And ultimately, whether our enemies are entering through portals, whether they're tied to a particular location, our strategy is still the same. Resist, test the spirits, stand firm, put on the full armor, pray, maintain a strong relationship with the Lord. And quote scripture. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for joining us in this episode. If you would like to comment or ask questions or you have opinions about what we talked about, please send us an email at godintheparanormal at gmail.com. And so you can get more information. Um, also visit our website, thinkingaboutthebible.com. If you found this podcast useful or interesting, please share it with others. You can find us on most major podcast platforms. Thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now.